Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. morning. For those of you who are visiting or who are new and haven't been with us for the last 10 weeks, we are in the midst of what I believe is an amazing and incredible series. The series on Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus himself comes to us in a very concentrated amount of scripture, Matthew 5 through 7, and he literally gives the greatest sermon the world ever heard. And now it's my job to come and preach on what Jesus preached about. And hopefully over the last several weeks, you have been able to understand that what Jesus is doing in this sermon is not simply giving these uh, high ideologies or uh, amazing platitudes or amazing proverbs to where, well, maybe we could live up to that standard. Or maybe, maybe we could someday get there. Or even the impossibility of getting there. I hope that as we have gone through the Sermon on the Mount, that we recognize that Jesus is inviting us to a very present and very real reality. Not just for the future, not just one day when we're in a spiritual heaven, but right now. That he is literally introducing the kingdom of heaven on earth today. He's in the midst of redefining our hearts. The whole premise of what we've been talking about is that the focus is not on behavior modification. Rather, it is about heart transformation. Jesus wants to redefine everything about who we are so that as we walk out of these doors, as we go and experience the world around us, we experience it in the way that he experienced it. That we begin to see the world in the way that he saw the world. Now, as we continue with the Sermon on the Mount, we begin to realize that, wait a minute, this isn't just uh, some ordinary way of living. If we can say, hey, uh, if we can call our lives bicycles, and we are all on our unique bicycle of life, the kingdom of heaven then becomes a brand new bicycle, In fact, it's so new that the way it operates is completely different from what we are used to. If we're used to turning left to go left and turning right to go right and pedaling forward to go forward, Jesus is introducing a bike that operates in no similarity to this. Jesus is saying, actually, I'm going to make left right and I'm going to make up down and I'm going to make forward backwards. And I'm going to redefine your entire life experience. But in doing so and redefining your entire experience on this bike of life, you will experience the greatest fulfillment you have ever had. The only question we have to ask ourselves is, is learning how to ride this new bike worth the end prize? Is learning how to live into the kingdom, is learning how to uh, see the world in which God sees the world, is learning all of this worth the end prize? Through this entire sermon, Jesus is giving us the instruction on how to live into the kingdom, on how to best ride this bicycle of life. And today, today we're going to be in Matthew 6, as Ben already gave a half sermon on. Matthew 6, 
starting in verse 19. And what Jesus has for us today. Last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer. And how we learned God himself is the means by which we live into this kingdom. We cannot go and attempt to live into the kingdom of heaven without God. It just can't happen. And so today, as we continue in this sermon, we see further instructions, if you will. But these instructions, they aren't like any of the instructions we have seen thus far in this sermon. These Well, let's just get to it. Matthew 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19. And Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see right away here, right away Jesus is attempting to redefine who we are, the way we see the world around us. The very first point he's making as he's trying to give us instruction on how to ride this kingdom bike without without training wheels, as he's trying to help us get the best experience possible, we learn that in And investing in wealth here on earth is actually not to our benefit. That being worried about earthly security here on earth is not to our benefit. Now we, in in today's day and age, we don't have to worry about moth or rodents sneaking in and and grabbing our, our stack of cash inside of our pillowcase. Well, maybe some of you have to worry about that. But for most of us, we don't have to worry about losing all of our assets in that way. So this is like, well, what's going on here? What is, what is Jesus talking about? We don't have to worry about all of this. Because all of my treasure is built up in, into, the, into, the, into the bank. No one's getting inside there. But you see, the point what Jesus is saying here, at the very beginning, he's saying that our earthly security is not secure. Our earthly security, a motivation of wealth, is never certain. We cannot rely on storing things up here in this world. If Christ were our financial advisor, if he's our financial advisor, he's telling us, look, don't invest into this earth because there will be no return on your investment. And not only will there be no return on your investment, it's not likely, it's not guaranteed that that investment will even be around tomorrow. Now, my brother is down here and he's a financial advisor and he's thinking, what in the world are you doing? But Jesus is saying, look, to be motivated by earthly security, to be motivated to store up your treasure here on earth is not a guaranteed solution. The fact of the matter is, Jesus uses this word, treasure. Well, what is treasure other than, treasure other than something that we strive and continue to work towards to? Treasure being the very source of our motivation for getting up in the morning, for working throughout the week, for planning our financial futures out. It's something that we continually to strive after and work towards. It's the end goal. It's our prize, if you will. 
And whatever our treasure is, that is our life's goal and motivation. But Christ is urging us to not simply see the kingdom of heaven as a means of living, as we discussed last week. Christ is urging us to see that the kingdom of heaven is actually the prize in which we are striving after. Not only is the kingdom of heaven the means by which we live, but it is the very thing that is our prize, our treasure, our motivation here on earth. The kingdom of heaven is where our investment is guaranteed. Where each and every day that we invest, we will see a return on that investment. And learning to live in this kingdom, oftentimes, especially for me, I mean, growing up, I would hear, hey, do not store up yourselves for on this earth, but wait until you get to heaven and you're going to see everything that you did. But the thing that we've been learning here in the Sermon on the Mount is that heaven isn't just some distant future reality, but Jesus is introducing heaven in the now. And so not only is our gain in the future, but our gain is in the present. In the reality of each and every one of our days. Learning to live in the kingdom, learning to ride these kingdom bicycles, which is both now and later, provides a security that cannot be experienced outside of the kingdom. What we invest in the kingdom will never be lost. We're not concerned maybe about rodents or moths, but even in heaven, nothing could ever be taken away from our investment. At the end of this particular portion here we see for where your treasure is there your heart will be also we've been talking about the idea of this being about heart transformation rather than behavior modification and here Jesus is saying the primary concern is your heart he's not uh, hear this for a second he is not condemning wealth he is not condemning having a lot of cool or nice Things. He's condemning the motivation to continually seek after those nice things. I mean, so often we think, man, they have so much stuff. They are clearly living a sinful life. But the fact of the matter is, just because someone has a lot of stuff doesn't automatically make them a sinner. And vice versa. Just because someone does not have a lot does not automatically make them a uh, pious individual. A spiritual individual. The, fa- the, the fact is, the heart of wanting more and more and more, the heart of, of greed, the heart of desiring more and more wealth or earthly security, that ranges from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich. I know people in my life who do not have a lot but are motivated only by money. And on the flip side of that, I also know people who do have a lot and who are the most generous people and God-fearing people I know. God is not condemning, Jesus is not condemning wealth or, or having a lot of things. He is condemning the heart that seeks after and is motivated by having a lot of things. The concern is not the actual possession, it's the heart behind the possession. What are you doing with all the stuff that you have? What are you doing to get all of the stuff that you have? 
what we deem to be our treasure ultimately affects our quality of life. We can pursue everything in this world. But the minute we get everything in this world, our heart continues to try and protect it. Once we have it, we're doing everything that, so that we don't lose it. Our heart is continually on edge. Therefore, we, we aren't able to live in this freedom lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to. We might get everything we want on this world. We might get everything we've ever pursued. But in the midst of getting everything we ever wanted, we miss heaven. Or on the flip side, we may not get anything we ever wanted. And we will still miss heaven. God's not concerned about the possession. He's concerned about the heart behind the possessions. But if our treasure, if our prize, if our end goal, at the end of it all, of each and every day, if our end prize is heaven and the kingdom of heaven, then we begin to walk with peace and contentment and joy, no longer concerned about, man, what's going to happen if everything crashes tomorrow? Will I lose everything? No, we walk through with this new, amazing reality Riding these kingdom bicycles, experiencing a fulfillment that could never be given had our treasure been in this earth rather than heaven. No longer do we continue to strive to be on top or have to fight for what we think is ours because we have been provided for by our God. And we continue then. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If we are talking about riding these kingdom bicycles, if we are talking about what it is to learn to live inside the kingdom of God, then we realize that seeing is important. We have to have our understanding that what we are looking towards, what we're seeking after, what our eyes are focused on are determining how well we walk in the reality that we're being invited to. And if our eye is focused on something other than the true source of light, then we realize we are just stumbling around in the midst of a space we are unfamiliar with. If all we can see as the prize at the end of each day is being secure on this earth, be it financial, be it relational or familiar, whatever it is, if that is our prize, security on this earth, then we miss what God has for us in his kingdom. If all we can see as our prize is earthly security, we miss and we become frustrated as we try to live in the kingdom of God. Again, we say this each week, God is good, God is loving, we sing it all the time, but if we're not actually living into the kingdom and putting forth these principles that Jesus is inviting us to, then we end up ultimately being frustrated because we say, well, I don't have any peace or contentment or joy. And we have to ask ourselves, what is our prize at the end of the day? Otherwise, we stumble and fall and trip and we never truly discover the freedom, the enjoyment, the fulfillment of living out the kingdom Reality, reality. We ride aimlessly with things that can never be achieved or taken hold of. 
I mean, let's be honest. When, if we were to ask the question, what is earthly security? If we truly analyze what earthly security was, if I ask each and every one of us today, we'd all have a different answer. But one thing we can always agree upon is that the minute we think that we have earthly security, the minute we need more to protect that earthly security. And the minute that we need to get more and we get more, the minute we need to have more security to protect what we've just gotten to secure what we once had. And it becomes this vicious circle of becoming secure but needing more to secure what we have. And we're, we're on this never-ending rat chase of trying to continue to become more and more secure. It's not guaranteed, but if we walk in the true source of light, if we walk in the vision that God has for us, all of a sudden we see that we don't need more because we have it all. We begin to see all the stumbling blocks in front of us. We begin to see the, the different things that may distract us. We begin to see what takes our eyes off God and we don't ride aimlessly or stumble around, but we ride with a purpose. And we may not be masters at it at first. I mean, just imagine a little child learning how to ride the bike for the first time. It takes practice it requires us stumbling and falling every now and then, but eventually we grow and we learn the enjoyment of what it is to just fly. And if you never learned how to ride a bike, please forgive me for this poor analogy. I hope you can track with me a little bit, though. Verse 24. No one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, today, we need to walk away knowing that earthly security, earthly security is opposed to God as master. Earthly security is opposed to God as as a master. Oftentimes, we, we, we think that we are not going, if we're not going over and beyond what is, what is, uh, uh, seems reasonable, if we're not going over and above, if we're not going into excess, then we think, well, we're not quite serving money. Because this is often how this, is, this gets taught. Well, as long as we're not going in excess, then we're good. But what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to redefine our hearts so that we're not even focused on earthly security. Because we cannot serve both earthly security and God. We can't say, I need to pursue this and serve God at the same exact time. They stand diametrically opposed to one another. And no matter where we are in life, we are either walking towards God or walking away from God. We cannot try to bring both towards ourselves. And as long as we think, hey, well, I don't have too much, then we justify because it just makes common sense in this world to be worried about earthly security. But it's false. Because just because we don't have a lot doesn't mean that we aren't serving what we have. Is that tracking? Just because we don't have a lot doesn't mean we're not serving what we already have. We've just justified in our heads that we're not as bad as somebody else. But even that mindset, that, even that heart, that heart mindset, if you will, even that is incorrect. 
We have to make the decision. Either I'm striving after God and trusting that he's going to give me everything that I need, or I'm just going to go striving after what I think I need. And at the end of it all, we have to be honest with ourselves. We are the ones who make that judgment call between us and God. We have to answer the question, where is our heart in the midst of it all? In the midst of all of our possessions, where is our heart? Are we content in the arms of this world, in the things of this world, or are we content in the arms of God? When the world is going crazy around us, from a financial point of view, from a relational point of view, from a family point of view, when the world is going crazy around us, what is our prize? Are we at peace only when the world is at peace, or are we at peace even in the midst of the chaos? This is our litmus test. This is our way of knowing what our end prize is. It may seem unrealistic. It may seem like, wait a minute, what do you mean I can't pursue earthly security? I'm not pursuing to be a billionaire. I just want earthly security. What do you mean I can't pursue that? I'm saying God is more secure than what earthly security is. If our peace is in heaven, then we have nothing to fear. Not because, hear me out, not because by pursuing God, we're going to get everything we ever wanted. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that if we pursue God, we are going to get everything that he wants for us. If we pursue God, he is going to give everything that he wants for us. My question today is, is that good enough for us? And if it's not good enough, if that makes you squirm a little bit, if that makes you a little anxious, then all of a sudden we begin to see what our true prize is. By pursuing God, we get everything that he would want for us. And we trust in him. We can pursue everything that we want for us. But again, it's a sign of where our prize is. If what God has for us isn't enough for us, then we then see he isn't our prize then we go to verse 25 and it's funny how all of a sudden we see that treasures in heaven or treasures on this world automatically lead to what it is to worry the subject of worry and anxiousness verse 25 says therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Friends, today, <laughs> worrying is a sin. Worrying is a sin. It's a result of willingly looking away from God as our treasure and setting our hearts on another prize. Worrying is a sin. But what's funny about this particular sin, what's funny about this particular sin is that all of a sudden, all of a sudden we realize we've been justifying it. We, tell, we say to ourselves, hey, worrying, 
Worrying is, is good because it means that I care. Worrying is good because it means that I, I am putting, doing my due diligence in this world. So we always give ourselves and everyone else around us, we give ourselves a break because, well, it's not like hating somebody. It's not like committing adultery. It's not like killing somebody. It's worrying. Is it really that bad? But to worry about life is to look towards earthly security as our prize. Do you know that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about worrying more than he talks about anything else, but it's the one thing that we most easily justify. Jesus talks about worrying as the, in most as the thing that separates us from the kingdom of heaven, and yet it's the very thing that we often give a pass to from everybody else. Worrying is a sin. It says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In the midst of worrying, we become imprisoned to our own lives and we, and we miss the freedom of living in God's kingdom. Who by worrying can add an hour to their life? Who by worrying can increase even the, bit, the slightest bit of quality of their life? I mean, this is like, this is like if we would tell a child, hey, you need to be worried about paying your parents' mortgage. And if that child took that and ran with that and lived in that, we would all, hopefully, we would all say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a pretty unhealthy way for that child to live, for them to be worried about paying their parents' mortgage. And if we were responsible adults, we'd say, hey, don't worry about that. Just rely on your parent. Rely. They'll get the job done. They'll do what is needed. Friends, right now, today, it's the same for you and me. Believe it or not, believe it or not, our lives aren't ours to worry about. Our lives aren't ours to worry about. We continue, it says, it continues here, it says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's so interesting about this is that it tells us here, hey, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of this will be added unto you. What do we do with this? Because there are Christians all around the world today who are dying because they don't have the resources to live, who are dying from starvation, who are dying because there is a depletion of things around them. But it says here, seek first his kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. Now for me, it can 
uh, time of confession, so often when I read this, I'm like, yeah, this means, this means I will be secure on this earth. God will give everything that I need to be secure on this earth. But then I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That thinking is the exact same thing that he just said all the pagans have. And so if my thinking is the same as the pagans, then clearly my heart hasn't been redefined in what Jesus has been trying to do this entire time. And all of a sudden we realize Jesus isn't promising us a secure life here on this earth. He's just promising us a fulfilled one here on this earth. He's promising us that God will feed us, that God will protect us, that God will give us everything that we need, that he knows we need, so that we can have the most fulfilling experience in his kingdom. The question is, is that good enough for us? Is it good enough to know that Jesus hasn't promised a plush or even a secure life on this earth? But that Jesus is inviting us to have our entire mindsets transformed and changed so that no matter our circumstance, we live a fulfilled kingdom life so that we can take our kingdom bicycles and no matter the cracks, no matter the stumbling blocks, no matter the bumps in the road, we can soar. Again, just like Ben had said earlier, it's not about having an easy life. It's about having a life in which we then see Jesus at the end of it all. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And we will have the security of the kingdom. Is this okay with us? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, Lord, we pray, we pray this. Lord, keep my eye on the prize. The prize being God himself. If you have come to church for any duration of time, you've heard this saying. You've heard this last verse here. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. It's like the golden row. We, we, we know it, and we just think, well, someday I'll live into that. We skip over it, thinking it simply to be too high of an ideal. But friends, today, right now, at this very moment, Christ is inviting you to no longer have to worry about tomorrow. To no longer have to worry about protecting everything that you've built up for yourself. To no longer have to look to an insecure means of living. But to live a life that is so fulfilling that by, by living alone, you then are giving a message to the world around you saying, I have discovered something. Friends, this isn't, just, this isn't just an empty platitude about not worrying. It is a real invitation for us to experience today. Don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. It takes practice. 
Let us not be discouraged because we can't get through the week without worrying about something. But man, the reality that comes from practicing in this idea of not worrying is a practice that will pay dividends in the future so that in the midst of your children having struggles, in the midst of your friends having struggles, in the midst of your family having struggles, all of a sudden they look to you and they see he is living a different life than I could possibly live. Because you answered the invitation today to not worry about tomorrow. But if we wait till tomorrow to not worry about tomorrow or the next day after that, then each day we push off not worrying and we never find it. Worrying is the number one thing that Jesus talks about, or I should say at least in most content. We should take it the most serious and we should see the wonderful invitation that Jesus is offering us today. So God, God, we come to you and we thank you and we praise you and we lift up your name just as you taught us to, saying hallowed is your name. But God, we also pray right now that you not only be the means by which we live in your kingdom, but that you would be our prize. That we would see you as more than enough. That you would redefine our heart's desires. So no matter what this world throws at us, we know that we are secure in your hands, regardless of our material possessions or earthly security. We know we are never lost in your hand. God, we thank you and we praise you. We love you today, Father. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray all of this. Amen. Be blessed. Keep your eye on the prize. May you pray that to the Lord each and every day. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.